Craters dot the landscape in Yemen, lasting reminders of the many civilian deaths in a brutal war. Perhaps no death is more tragic than Mohammed Al-Khal. After a volley of airstrikes hit a highway in western Yemen on August 15th, Al-Khal picked up a wounded man in his taxi, an ice cream vendor, and drove him to the hospital. But coalition warplanes followed his car, believing he was carrying a wounded soldier. Just as he arrived, warplanes struck the hospital. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. With me again today is Travis. Um, we are on part two of the Yemeni civil war. And uh, if anybody is still not drank themselves into oblivion of depression from the last <laughs> episode, uh, this one will be a little bit better. How are you doing today, Travis? I'm doing pretty good. Finally, uh, if the, for those who paid attention during the, the last episode, um, I'm pretty much fully moved into the new apartment, so everything's ready for a full career of podcasting instead of going out and uh, enjoying the mountains and the nature and all the kind of things that Northern Iraq has to offer. I'm instead, on the, on the internet, I'm posting, I'm tweeting. I'm <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I'm doing up here in the Pacific Northwest. Except uh, we actually got snow today, and I don't want to fucking touch it. Like I grew up in Michigan, and, and I am repulsed by snow. I hate that shit. <laughs> well, I'm from uh, South Louisiana, so I've got the opposite problem. I just <laughs> I just wish I could see it. You know, I've only seen it like twice in my whole life. It, it's cool for like a month, and then you're like, oh, I have six more months of this. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that, but uh, if it would snow here in Airbill, that would be pretty cool, I think. Doesn't it snow in Airbill? I thought it did before. Um, I think it does on occasion, but uh, the real, I mean, if you drive like an hour out of the city up into the mountains, you'll get some pretty cold temperature and some snow. And there's a ski resort, like uh, maybe two and a half hours drive out of Airbill. Interesting. But um, but yeah, Airbill, like it's pretty mild winters. Uh but it, because it's it's kind of the just south of where all the mountains are, but uh, once you're in the mountains, it's pretty it's pretty legitimately cold and uh, wintry and snowy and rainy and stuff like that. Well, sounds like Washington right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could use some of that during the summer though. Yeah, yeah, summers there must be fucking terrible. Um, yeah, not excited about it. Uh, so on this episode, uh, so on the last one, we talked about the background uh, of and the history of the conflict. Um, and this time we're going to talk about uh, the people in charge of some of the most heinous crimes of the war. And uh, they are, by and large, foreigners, which uh, kind of shocked me. Um, and while we are absolutely not well, absolving okay. the UAE or the Saudi well, government um, for their share in, uh, of the blame of this war, uh, but... The point I am trying to make through this series is without these foreign functionaries, um, this war probably would not be possible. Um, mm -hmm. And also, one point I want to make, um, when you say foreign, you specifically mean foreign to the Arabian Peninsula, because really most, pretty much all of the actors involved here, except the Houthis, are foreign to Yemen. Yes. Um, and, like, everyone's interfering in Yemen, but, like, even more so on, like, an, another level of, like, um, heinousness, heinosity. I don't know what the... I like heinosity. I don't think that's a word, but I like it. It sounds kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um, you bring up a very like, good point. Um, yeah, obviously, because, um, the, the Saudis and, and the Emiratis are foreign to Yemen, but uh, we are talking about specifically non-Arab people uh, who are right, acting right. as either mercenaries to an extent or actual official members of mostly the Emirati government, um, which yeah. is really weird. Um, and one of the people we will talk about today is an American who now goes by the name General Steve. Um <laughs> Or how he was, yeah. Uh, or how he was known when he was an officer within the United States Army, Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Tomajan, which uh, Travis helpfully pointed out is uh, he is one of my people and he's Armenian, so that's nice. Um, the Azerbaijanis are right all along. Uh, yeah, I know we're we're just trash people. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Steve was born in 1965 in New Hampshire, which is shocking because I think we both pegged him as being from the South. Um, 
And he was a military academy nerd, like many officers were, uh, from high school through college. And a fact that will become a little bit ironic later, he actually attended both a Christian high school and a college. Um, And then he... uh, I forgot to look it up. It's some uh, evangelical college in New Hampshire. Um, it's it's has that loving American mixture of both a military academy and being a religious zealot. <laughs> oh, weird! And it's also like like when you say evangelical, you mean like Protestant evangelical? I believe so. Yeah. Um, it's, the Armenians were that shit. We're not. And that's the weird part is like Armenian Orthodox Church, like I grew up um like my mom grew up a Catholic because she's not Armenian, but uh like my dad is the Armenian side of the family and he was very, very strict Armenian Orthodox, and so is everybody else, and that's what everybody had to be. Uh which is interesting that he, he was not. Okay. Uh so he was commissioned into the US Army in nineteen eighty six, became a helicopter pilot. Uh, not just any helicopter pilot, however. Uh, after serving in the first Gulf War, he joined the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, also known as the Night Stalkers. If that name sounds familiar, they're made famous by the Black Hawk Down movie, uh, along with being the guys who transported the SEALs to kill Osama bin Laden. And um, yeah, yeah, and crashing the helicopter, the, the secret squirrel helicopter in, in the in the yard there. Uh, and they've also carried out countless covert operations across the world so he was not just a helicopter pilot he was like one of the best helicopter pilots in the u.s army uh and you know a lot of those operations uh that would never really officially quote unquote happen he took part in uh because by 1997 here in several awards that have no citation behind them uh so for anybody who is not aware what that means uh in the u.s military if you get an award regardless of how minor they are they come with a citation um that is unless you do some shit that people just don't want to talk about like for instance i have what's known as an army achievement medal it's like the lowest medal you can get um it and i got it for setting up the stage for an orange county chopper usl show it had a citation (laughs) so like there's literally citations for everything (laughs) yeah you're welcome for my service um (laughs) it was this is where the story goes from being uh kind of the rote biography of any special ops guy to uh kind of ridiculous because um in 1997, he also incorporated a small company in Maryville, Tennessee, called Breast Wishes, and it was a <laughs> it was a mail order enhancement pyramid pill scheme. Uh, and it, he made he sold pills through the mail uh, with the sole intent of tricking people into thinking they made their boobs bigger. Uh, (laughs) and these pills absolutely did nothing uh but that didn't stop him from making nearly two hundred thousand dollars in the first year jesus christ dude we need to get into this business i know podcasting is not the way to go i either have to take pictures of my feet with (laughs) guns or sell tit pills i i don't know um lions led by donkey's breast enhancement yeah uh business Yeah, that sounds like incredibly unappealing. Uh, and, and the weirdest, <laughs> and the weirdest part is like he only had two employees, and it operated out of his garage. Um, and his employees had nothing but nice things to say about him. Uh, I'm assuming because they made a ton of money from lying to people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but by 1999, he closed up shop as you know pyramid schemes are a fleeting thing, uh, and he kind of just escaped with most of the money. Uh, he would never, and it's weird that he was allowed to do that while being an officer in the army. I'm not exactly sure of right. the regulations behind that, but I know as an enlisted person, if like I could not have another job. Yeah, I think it is a little looser for officers, or at least maybe not legally, but like in terms of getting away with it. Yeah, um, I've heard officers can you know do that a lot um, with these kind of like side businesses that are that they can run mostly remotely. Yeah, and there's um, so friend of the show she's been a few times Flynn is a senior NCO in the army and she has uh, several people several NCOs that work with her like involved in like multi-level marketing pyramid scheme type shits so it's not like unheard of and like even me when I was a young private or something my platoon sergeant was 
involved in a pyramid scheme and he tried to like wrangle other people into it and <laughs> that is unethical but uh, apparently you get away with it yeah. if you're a colonel uh, uh well you have to get away with everything yeah, yeah. Rank. and he continues to get away with everything um uh so it's kind of funny because buzzfeed did a biography on him uh and when the, when buzzfeed contacted uh him about this he said quote i'm not sure why this is relevant because <laughs> <laughs> it's funny obviously um yeah and i would argue it is kind of relevant uh it speaks to his level of ethics uh that sh- it shows that he's uh, yeah, yeah. willing to lie his ass off for money and take advantage of people um it's a skill uh, that would suit him well later in life yeah in uh 2003 he su- he deployed in support of the american invasion of Iraq and was awarded the Bronze Star for a service with Joint Task Force 20. Um, now, Joint Task Force 20 was not something I was familiar with and I had to look up, but it was, uh, according to my research and the research of several other journalists, responsible for black operations uh, and covertly based out of Saudi Arabia. The details of the operation he carried out are still not entirely known, but they, but we, but everybody was kind of figured out that uh, it had something to do with looking for the weapons of mass destruction that we heard so much about. So mm-hmm. he failed. So I'm not sure why he got a medal. Yeah, clearly. She's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also worked heavily with SEAL Team 6, uh, Rangers, Delta Force, and other elements of the Joint Special Operations Command. Uh, he also later mm-hmm. deployed to Afghanistan. Um, and by 2007, yeah. Steve officially retired from the U.S. Army with the, with the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. Um, unlike... Most officers who slide into some cushy position somewhere, he moved to the United Arab Emirates. Um, now, we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but the UAE is kind of a weird country. Uh, it's a strange federation of seven different monarchies, with the ruler of Dubai being the overall ruler of the nation. Um, and this is kind of like my yada, yada, yada explanation. So, Travis, if I get this completely wrong, please correct me. <laughs> I'll jump in. Uh, yeah. Don't worry. Uh, their justice system is also uh, kind of based on Sharia law, which would probably be a pretty big shock to say in Christian American from a religious school in the Northeast. Um, well, I don't know if it really would. Honestly, like Sharia is better because you don't have to pay interest on loans. Um, <laughs> this and, is like uh, the third show in the row that somehow comes back to Ursary, and I'm not sure how. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I feel like, you know, someone who's big into evangelicalism, like, is down with 99% of Sharia law, or, like, Islamic fundamentalism, or at least the parts that they don't like, um, or they pretend to not like, right. like, hating gay people, um, and removing bodily auto- autonomy from women, so they're probably down with most of it. Yeah, that's, uh, if they just called their God, God, instead of Allah, like, evangelicals and, like, Islamic militants would be fucking best friends. Yeah, well, it's like, it's just racism. Like, it's not an ideological dispute. It's literally just racism. No, not evangelicals being racist. (laughs) No. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, And, you know, to the West, if you just pay attention to, uh, like, mainstream media and uh, news sources, the UAE puts on a pretty decent front of being a reformed and free state. Uh, It is full of expats and people with a lot Mm. of money. Uh, but according to Human Rights Watch, that could not be further from the truth. This includes, among other things, a crackdown on journalists, dissidents, and prosecuting multiple women for adultery for being uh, for daring to just be raped. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Um, and it's not just local people either. They're perfectly willing to prosecute um, or detain, um, like, American or other uh, quote unquote Western people um, for doing anything even remotely um, out of line in the uh, in the Emirates. So it's a pretty dangerous place to go um, if you are even remotely um, female or um, politically questionable. So what you're saying is we should absolutely never go to the UAE. Um. Yeah. Not a good idea. <laughs> and you know, I think there was a news story not that long ago, and I could be wrong, but there was uh, two, I think they were Australians, or maybe it was a British person and an Australian person who met up while on vacation or working in the UAE. And like any mature adults, they decided to fuck on the beach. Oh, and the woman was arrested for adultery. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> not the I guy, though. 
And or, neither one of them yeah. were married, but the, it was just like sex out of wedlock is is illegal. It's pretty bad. I mean, that doesn't apply to all the like rich Emirati like princes right. who you know bring in Instagram models and stuff and pay them tens of thousands of dollars, right? Basically, uh, as like high class escorts. Um, but if you're just some like dumbass Australian, yeah, you're going to jail. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the part of the story where we normally would say, and then uh, this is where General Steve went off to work for Raytheon or Dynecor or <laughs> whoever, uh, some military contractor. It's like a tried and true pipeline of officer to soulless weapons broker that everybody knows really well at this point. Um, but that's not the road Steve would take. Uh, he would take a road that I have never heard of before. And that is becoming <laughs> a colonel in the United Arab Emirates military. Kind of. <laughs> uh, it kind of it depends if you squint hard enough. I, I don't know. It, now, if you're thinking this is illegal, that's because it is. Um, it is, but it's not without a precedent in uh, United States military history. In 1993, a retired U.S. Army colonel named Alexander Einsen became the first commander-in-chief of the post-Soviet Union Estonian Defense Forces. Uh, oh, my God. Einsen was a Vietnam veteran, and uh, but he was actually born in Estonia in 1931. So, like, at least he okay. had some connection to the country, unlike our non-Arab Christian friend from New Hampshire. Um, <laughs> unlike Steve, though. So, um... Einstein went through a lot of shit before this was okay. Uh, the U.S. government threatened to revoke his citizenship and his pension, uh, but eventually the threats were dropped and Einstein was allowed to draw his colonel's pension at the same time he was commanding an entire foreign army. Um, but there's a major difference uh, between the two statuses of those. Uh, Einstein never claimed anything other than being in the Estonian military. Tomajan mm. has found a way around that. Um, so Steve had no connection to the UAE whatsoever, and the UAE government decided to muddy the waters a bit. So this is despite the fact that Steve does, at, this, at the time this happened, they gave him a, the commission rank of colonel within the army. Uh, but he was not actually being paid by the UAE. He's being paid by a private United Arab Emirates corporation, who in turn uh, was skirting around another law. And had him contracted out to a U.S. army, or sorry, a U.S. company called Knowledge International, a company whose entire oh, okay. board of directors is made up of retired U.S. Army generals. One of those generals <laughs> is Stanley McChrystal. Holy shit! So, think about that for a moment. A guy who is being paid a fat retirement check by the U.S. military is also being paid by the UAE military to work for a U.S. company, but actually work directly for the UAE. And while doing so, uh, because of heavy U.S. funding of the UAE's military, it meant that there's a very good chance the U.S. is paying his salary there, too. So he's getting like double or is it triple pay? I believe it's triple at this point, and it never disclaimed so that uh, unlike the United States military, if you Google the U.S. military, you can look at the pay scale of any rank. Uh, you cannot do that for the UAE, and of there's course. a very good chance that uh, Steve is not making the same amount of money an Arab colonel would be making. All right, I bet he's making three or four times more at least. Absolutely, um, because he's not technically being paid as a colonel. He's being paid as an advisor. This is make the contractor mm -hmm. pay. Um, so through those back channels, Steve was officially licensed by the U.S. State Department as a chief aviation advisor to the UAE, and he was authorized to, quote, directly support the UAE deputy supreme commander, his staff and all essential and non-essential personnel and related systems of the Joint Aviation Command. The Joint Aviation Command was created by Stephen Tomajan. <laughs> <laughs> They're not even trying anymore. <laughs> so despite the fact yeah. he was legally an advisor, he also began to refer to himself in press and in public as a senior UAE officer. He also wore a military uniform that went along with his rank and position. He was uh, after his promotion, his business card referred to him as brigadier general with no mention of the contractor he technically worked for. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean like that's just why why even go through all that bullshit like we know the u.s isn't going to prosecute him for like just straight up being 
a, a, like an actual general or officer or whatever in the UAE military. So like, why even bother with all this shit? Just like, just do it. I don't know. I think it is for the plausible deniability of something we'll talk about a little later. Um, oh, okay. Steve has got um, his hands a bit dirty. <laughs> um, so. Now it is very normal for U.S. military contractors to render services for foreign governments. These services include training, maintenance, and doing support in related to missions for foreign armies. I, I think we talked about quite a bit during our... Yeah. Um, uh, Iran Iraq episode where you said that the reason why some people don't like getting weapons from the US as part of that package is uh like you have to use all these military contractors for maintenance yeah. and, and logistics. Yeah. So yeah, I mean you go to any military that the US has sold weapons to and you're gonna find Americans or at least American companies um helping maintain or supply or train or whatever. Yeah. And I can see why the UAE would uh would want to be involved in that because they don't have the the infrastructure to do anything else. Um, but I mean, this is also something that is really popular uh, during the height of the Iraq war. Like when I was in Afghanistan, everything was done by contractors. Um, we had maintenance people. Sure. Those were our soldiers, but like the next person down the logistics chain was a contractor. The people who washed our clothes were contractors. If we got the chance to use the laundry service, um, <laughs> the people who fed us were contractors when we were at the big bases. Mm -hmm. I mean, like everything is contractors. Um, right. But what the State Department does not do, at least openly, is license people to actually command foreign armies. Uh, like, <laughs> the State Department does not actually condone 100% no shit mercenary work. It's technically illegal. Um, so a State Department spokesperson said as much. Yeah, I mean, if if they if they're sending in actual mercenaries, like they're gonna be like CIA paramilitary division type dudes, or like they're not gonna license them because it creates a fucking paper trail. Um, but they also went. I don't think they would do something as overt as saying, "Yes, you can command an entire nation's military with our with our go ahead." Like that's way too out in the open. Yeah. Um, a State Department spokesman said as much, saying, quote, the State Department has never approved any contractors to provide direct command functions, combat troops, combatants, or mercenaries. Uh, you can debate how true that is, uh, but I actually will agree with them. They probably have never approved of it. They just kind of wink and nudge and don't create paperwork. Yeah, they know what's happening and don't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. And maybe facilitate it in some other respect. Right. But they're not going to create like, yes, you were allowed to do this. <laughs> like, that's just stupid. Yeah. That's bad statecraft. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they don't really need to. They have the entire CAA to handle that. Um, yeah, exactly. But that is exactly what Stephen was and still is working on. He, uh, he skirted U.S. law so obviously that a retired U.S. Army colonel named Dan Monahan, who was actually in charge of compliance like ethical compliance and law compliance at knowledge that whole cover company he was technically supposed to work for he fucking quit <laughs> you know you're a corrupt bastard when your actions make the compliance manager at your shell company quit yeah i mean and if your shell company is almost certainly basically existing to facilitate this kind of shit like <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i mean i guess cia official uh was asked by BuzzFeed who did this uh, biography I'm mostly using as a, as a source uh, a former mm -hmm. CIA official said uh, I'm aware of people doing things like this and it is incredibly illegal <laughs> <laughs> yeah well doesn't um, join I think technically I mean the first time I, I got like my passport I was reading through it and it says, like, you know, your citizen can be revoked if you join a foreign military. And it's like can, because it obviously it's not always true. Right. Because, you know, a lot of U.S. citizens go to join, like, foreign militaries, particularly if they're, like, uh, like dual na nationals or something, or, like, people right. want to join the Israeli military. And, of course, the U.S. isn't really going to do anything about that. Um, it's probably selectively even, like, enforced at best. Oh, of course. And like even people have gone to join like the YPG or something like that. They've been, they've, you know, received scrutiny when they come back to the U.S., but never, at least not that I've heard of, has, has anyone been like detained or had their, or detained for long periods of time or let alone have their citizenship revoked. But like, 
I know it has happened in the past. I just don't can't think of any examples. Probably back in the day during like World War One or World War Two or something like that. I can think of one, um, and you're gonna like my example. And the and he's also <laughs> not a good example because he was legitimately a terrorist. Um, Miss uh-huh. Com- Commander Avo from the Nargano Karbakh War. Uh, he was an, oh, okay. an American Armenian born in California, and was involved in uh, numerous terrorist acts. He also was involved in like the uprising against the Shah in Iran of all places before he finally okay. settled back in Armenia. But uh, while he was taking part in that war, the U.S. revoked his citizenship. But I don't. He ended up getting marked. Yeah, he died. Yeah, he's uh, he's a national oh, hero yeah. in Armenia. <laughs> oh. Uh, a rather large monument is to him actually. Um, but you know, he, I think he got his citizenship revoked because like he was involved in taking hostages in France, I believe. Um, and obviously touching Iran at the 10 foot pole during the area gets you shit canned. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so, I mean, so Steve was breaking all these rules and laws and everybody was turning a blind eye. And, but at the same time, you have to think he's willing to risk a lot for this, right? So he has to be really powerful, which brings us to what he's actually in charge of and the organization that he founded, the Joint Aviation Command. Uh, so rather than coming up with my own bad explanation of this, I'm going to pull this directly from the UAE's website. Quote, His Excellency Major General Staff Pilot Stephen Tomajan is the Commander and Senior Aviation Advisor for the Joint Aviation Command, specifically responsible for the combat readiness and execution of all aviation missions and training for UAE forces and numerous foreign military sales and direct commercial sales of aviation programs. So not only is he in command of all helicopters being used uh, by the uae army he's also in charge of purchasing them and selling them that's a lot of fucking power yeah you know what that kind of his title reminds me of um you know Idi Amin. yes the, uh, <laughs> what is it um his excellence his excellency president for life field marshal al-haji dr Idi Amin dada victoria cross uh Distinguished Service Order, MC, Lord of all the beasts of earth and fishes of the seas and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular. I thought it was England in particular, but also it's incredibly impressive that you remembered that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I Googled it. I'm not that good. Funny story. (laughs) uh, When I created the, the, the... logo for the podcast i literally just told the Uh the artist i want a donkey in Idi Amin's uniform because his uniform (laughs) has so many fucking medals on it oh yeah uh but yeah you're absolutely right and i kind of expected like his excellency major general staff pilot stephen toma john first of his name or something stupid like that at the (laughs) end I'm surprised it didn't make him like a prince or something in the Emirati, yeah. like royal family. I give it 10 more years. He's a prince for sure. <laughs> Emir Steve. Yeah. The ruler of Dubai, uh, Bill over there. Yeah. <laughs> also, so I was reading these uh, these articles to Nick, who obviously is not taking part in this episode. He's like, does this count as cultural appropriation? <laughs> I'm honestly not sure, because it's not like he changed his name. He's not, he, like the only thing he did to uh, to take part in Emreti culture is wearing the military's uniform and also holding all of his meetings in a giant Bedouin tent like fucking uh, Gaddafi. <laughs> it's like, fucking ridiculous. Uh, there's a lot. There's so much to say about that. <laughs> Just like, what an asshole! Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so since Steve has taken taken command, the UAE has uh, unsurprisingly poured billions of dollars into state of the art U.S. helicopters like the Apache, Chinook, and Blackhawks. Um, and this is before uh, the UAE got involved in the civil war in Yemen. They were also involved in a couple proxy wars before then, uh, kind of testing out the concept of flexing their military muscles. Like, I think they're involved in the unrest in Bahrain. Um, I could be wrong. Um, so in 2015, uh, the UAE officially entered the civil war in Yemen and have been committing a long string of airborne war crimes ever since. 
Um, yay. Yay. Uh, <laughs> and it, so I can't, I'm probably going to repeat myself about a hundred times during the rest of uh, my show notes here. Um, at any point, you are thinking there is um, something resembling plausible deniability. Remember that the UAE's own website, it points out that he is in charge of all aviation forces. Uh, so, yeah. in one incident, on the morning of March 17th, 2017, a boat with 42 dead bodies in it floated to the dock in Hogadeh, Yemen. I probably pronounced it terribly. Uh, the survivors were all Somali migrants. Um, they said a helicopter had fired on them uh, on the boat for about five minutes. It circled around and fired on them again. Survivors said they had to hide under a pile of dead bodies for over an hour in order to escape the continuous gun runs from the helicopters. So the UAE admitted that they had helicopters operating in the area, but said the, but said that the attack must have been perpetrated by the Houthi rebels. Yeah, who operate Apache helicopters? Of course. Yes, um, <laughs> me and Travis do not have to point this out that the Houthis do not have helicopters of any kind at their disposal. Um, and this is something that has happened multiple times. Uh, we talked in the last episode about double tap airstrikes. The UAE has been doing virtually the same thing with helicopters. Um, the UAE's Air Force is very small, but they have a ton of helicopters, and they've been using them accordingly. Um, so this crime is very well known to journalists from multiple firsthand accounts. And so they approached Steve to question him about, this, about his role in the UAE's military. Uh, and despite, like I said, the UAE's own website saying that uh, he is in command of the entire army's helicopter component, Steve insists he actually isn't. He also refuses to say whether or not helicopters under his command are deployed to fight in Yemen, despite overwhelming evidence that they are. Uh, again, he was in charge of every helicopter in the UAE. I will keep saying this until it burns into everybody's brains. Uh, and he has openly admitted to, as such... In a video, he shot during a joint U.S.-UAE training mission at Fort Irwin, California. Uh, a US, uh, it's the U.S. National Training Center, or NTC. Uh, it's a miserable place to be. But um, during an interview, he said that the training would serve his soldiers very well, and they went over to fight in Yemen. Uh, <laughs> a little side note about this video, and I'll post it on the Twitter page. It is really weird to watch a video of a, U a retired U.S. colonel in a different uniform talking about how thankful for he is for the Americans to allow him over to their country for training. He leans so <laughs> heavily into the fact that he's a totally real Emirati general and not some American playing dress up. Like, it is so weird to probably, watch. He probably thinks he's like Lawrence of Arabia or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, except, like shittier stupider and like even more war crimey yeah at least lawrence of arabia is trying to liberate the arabs not fucking genocide them exactly it like I'm just the whole video is super surreal he's like you know we don't have these these capabilities in our country uh you know thank 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 you for opening the the doors up for for my people and stuff like, like jesus christ <laughs> he's like the arab rachel <laughs> dolezal <laughs> I bet he barely speaks a word of Arabic. Oh, dude, I could not like, find any well, video of him speaking. Yeah, yeah, he probably <laughs> speaks exactly as much as I do, and I just say inshallah to piss off people on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could not find one video of him speaking Arabic. Um, and I, I looked. Uh, everything I found of him, like speaking at weapons conferences, since he's the, the primary purchaser of all the uh, Emirati aviation stuff, He's speaking English. Mm -hmm. um, everything that he's ever written for as far as I can show is in English. Uh, <laughs> mm. Yeah, he, I don't think he speaks Arabic at all. I, I, there's no evidence I he had any connection whatsoever to like to the UAE before going there in 2007. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, maybe with, during the Armenian genocide, like some relatives just kept going south and uh got lost in the desert somewhere and ended up in dubai yeah going going to a uh lebanon was just like n too popular he had to do the hipster <laughs> route yeah the genocide victim hipsters yeah uh 
Uh, so multiple reports have come out implicating General Steve's helicopters in massacres. Uh, that means that a retired U.S. officer is implicated in war crimes while serving in the uniform of a second country that we also support, fund, and train. Um, if you remember from the UAE's description of Steve's job, another one of his duties uh, is uh, directing the massive influx of American military industrial complex dollars that come into the UAE. And uh, he makes sure that all of those go through him. Uh, in an organization this big, like the U.S. Army's command that's in charge of like buying all this stuff. I don't even know what it's called. Didn't look it up because I'm a fraud and a charlatan. But like <laughs> you can imagine it is a large staff of people like not everybody's going directly to one person. That is absolutely not how Steve runs it. Everything goes through him. Um, according to Steve himself, he has personally been in charge of $10 billion put towards the creation, modernization and development of his joint aviation command. Uh, this accounts for half of all military aid that the U.S. has given to the UAE to date. Jesus. That means he probably has more direct control over the funds going into the UAE than, like, the uh, the emir himself. Yeah. Crazy. So an arms dealer that works in the region, sorry, contractor that works in the region said, quote, I know he's extraordinary influential. You don't do anything in aviation over there without him popping into meetings. He has the run of the place. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, if, the thing that I don't understand is how it's not like the Emirates has like a, a shortage of like well-educated people who are experienced in like doing war crimes. Like, uh, Emirati soldiers have been involved in, you know, Afghanistan and the first Gulf War and I think in Iraq until after 2003. So it's like, why do they have this weird, like, uh, breast enhancement store running crazy, crazy <laughs> helicopter pilot guy, like, and f in charge of all of that shit? Like, how do they let him do that? That's my biggest question. Yeah. And I mean, I worked with, Emirati soldiers in Afghanistan. Actually, I think I sent you pictures of us playing poker. But um, yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, we worked together in Parwan in northeast Afghanistan. And I don't have good things to say about the Emirati soldiers, but what can be said about them is none of them, like, uh, when you think of a U.S. Army private, you think of a young, dumb kid. Yeah. Uh, I did not get that impression from the um, Emirati lower ranking enlisted. Like, they all had college degrees. <laughs> they were all like, yeah, showing yeah. pictures of their fucking sweet cars and mansions and shit. And uh, they yeah. were just doing it for status, which also shows to the complete lack of motivation of any soldier skills. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we kind of br we briefly touched on it last episode, but like the pop the actual Emirati population is like a little over a million. Yeah. But uh, I think they have conscription of, of male citizens. Um, and the Emirati citizens themselves are very much a elite class like to be an emirati citizen means you're probably at a minimum like comfortably middle class yeah um, it's a whole society based on slave labor effectively basically yeah there's a caste system based on race basically um with emiratis being basically at the top and white people being just below them um or equal depending on how rich the white person is <laughs> or how many uh, helicopters they control yeah, well, how many war crimes they can do, I guess. But like, yeah, I mean, for the, to, to be an Emirati soldier means that you're probably well-educated, pretty worldly, and like well-off, and not just some like dumb fuck from the middle of nowhere who joined up to, you know, get the GI Bill to go to community college or something to learn to be a welder. Um, right. Because I think so it's the... Uh, a very different thing. Yeah, and I, I think the... Because, I mean, there's only like a million actual citizens in, in, in the UAE because they don't give citizenship to the, the vast armies of like uh, indentured servants. So the vast majority of their military can't or the vast majority of their population can't actually join the military, which is right. really weird. But yeah. <laughs> I, I guess when you steal people's passports and like beat and rape them, you don't want to give them a gun. Uh, well, unless you're Saudi Arabia. That's true. Um, and that's like a, an, another thing is that the UAE is incredibly adverse to casualties, um, yeah. which I'm not going to fault them for. I wish the U.S. Army was adverse to casualties as well. But like 
you know, uh, from you know my anecdotal evidence is that the UAE did not go on patrols. Um, they they simply would not. Um, and uh, another thing is UAE soldiers by and large, are not deployed into Yemen on the ground. Uh, other people are who we will talk about in the next episode, uh, <laughs> but they're not Emiratis. Um, so now that everybody knows that His Excellency Brigadier General Steve is an arms-dealing, war-crime-committing mercenary, he's about to be charged, loses pension, and loses citizenship, or something's going to happen to him, right? Uh, <laughs> you must be new. Uh, not even remotely. Uh, so he routinely comes to the United States, and last time he was seen stateside, he was shaking hands and taking pictures with American generals in a huge Bedouin tent outside the Gaylord Opryland Convention Center, a giant showroom for weapons manufacturers and military contractors. Oh now imagine what? going like to an <laughs> Opry and seeing a large <laughs> Muammar Gaddafi-looking fucking Bedouin tent and just some dude in a tux chilling in it. Some white dude, yeah, like, oh my god. He doesn't have the decency to grow a <laughs> shitty word. beard. Ah, Jesus, dude, come on. <laughs> like, if, if you're gonna, like, pretend to go native and, like, enact some, like, bizarre orientalist fantasy, like, at least go all in, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, a journalist um, went to talk to him. Uh, assuming that the guy's American, uh, he still has some american customs in him like you know when a journalist is talking to you you at least give him a sound bite or something uh not to mention that this journalist wasn't known to steve like it wasn't known that he was doing a background on him he could have just been talking to him about the uae's military who knows um so instead uh when the journalist went into the tent to talk to him steve ordered his uae soldiers to forcefully remove the guy <laughs> He's like, wait, wait, I work for a despotic fucking monarchy. I'm going to act like it. Wait, was this in the U.S. or in yes. UAE? Yes, this is in fucking in Tennessee. Jesus. <laughs> what are UAE soldiers doing there? Just like helping sell weapons or something? Or buy I, weapons? I'm assuming they went with them as some either kind of uh, personal security attachment or... Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, when when a general, when a U.S. general goes anywhere, he always has staff with him, um, and there are you know the the lampreys to his shark fin or whatever. But um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a general's aide or staff forcefully fuck up a journalist before. Um, but I, I'm willing to bet he brought them as a personal security detachment because he doesn't seem like a guy that has a large staff. He likes to handle everything himself. Um, and there's actually, uh, General Steve is not the only mercenary commander on the UAE payroll, and he might not even be the worst one. <laughs> um, the, the, the second guy has his hand, uh, definitely more directly and, uh, irrectably in the Yemeni war crimes. And that is retired Australian general, former commander of the Australian Special Air Services, the entire Middle Eastern Operations Command Theater, and current major general for the UAE, Mike Hindmarsh, one of the most decorated soldiers in Australian history. Woo. Go Australia! Yeah, Australia. You know, ever, <laughs> ever since the Emu War, they've really been trying to make up for lost time. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so Hindmarsh is a veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan and has an array of awards to chart his service to Australia before retiring in 2009. Much like Steve, he after retirement, he immediately removed uh, himself from Australia to go to the UAE and accept a position. Um, just like Steve, it's under the guise of being an advisor. Uh, just like Steve, he does this while wearing a UAE's general's uniform and calling himself a general in the service of the UAE. Unlike Steve, however, he does not deny what he is doing. When he was asked by the Australian Broadcasting Corporation in 2016 about his work, Hen Marsh did not fucking beat around the bush. He said, quote, I am a serving officer in the UAE Armed Forces. <laughs> well, you know, I admire the honesty. Right. Uh, he's leaning real hard into it. And at the same time, much like General Steve, uh, he is still drawing his pension and honors from Australia. And he has a lot of supporters uh, back home. Uh, when, the, when the Australian Broadcasting Corporation kind of did that piece on him when it didn't show him in the best light, they had a lot of fucking pushback. 
my god. Uh, I feel like Australians are like, I don't know, they're a mix between like really nice and like super crazy racist. Yeah, that's kind of what I've gotten as well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they have an interesting history, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you look yeah. at Hindmarsh's entry on the UAE's website, you'll see he's the commander of the Presidential Guard. By that title, you would think that Hindmarsh is the commander of some ceremonial ceremonial unit or a group of bodyguards or something. Not quite. It's pretty much the UAE's version of SEAL Team 6. Um, yeah. Uh, the Presidential Guard is actually the most elite unit in the UAE and is cons- uh, considered one of the best trained in the entire Arab world. The Guard is heavily involved in the Yemeni Civil War and has been the most forward-deployed unit in the entire UAE military. So there's, like, hella war crimes. Oh, man. Uh, We actually... So, in our next episode, uh, Hinmarsh ends up being directly connected to a mercenary death squad uh, by proxy. And so what the Presidential Guard exactly does is a fucking mystery because they don't report it and obviously the uae is again an embed journalist with their fucking death squads um right and the exact uh size and composition of the guard itself is not really known but is generally accepted to be pretty small and encompasses elements of land sea and air as well as the entirety of the uae special forces uh the unit just like the Joint Aviation Command, was the brainchild of Hinmarsh himself. He based the entire mm. thing around the Australian SAS. <laughs> um, just some of the things that the Presidential Guard is possibly connected to is running secret prisons, uh, assassinations, bombing of civilian targets, guiding air airstrikes into funerals and school buses, and the list goes on and on. Um, but like any good shadowy force, uh, no one can directly connect the presidential guard to any of those. Um, exactly. It, there's always like a, a haze there. Uh, but Hinmarsh himself is not uh, alone in the unit. Uh, he took a lot of friends with him. Uh, so according to Rory mm-hmm. Donaghy, the founder of the Emirate Center for Human Rights, quote, Mike Hinmarsh reports directly to the crown prince, Mohammed bin Zayed of uh, Abu Dhabi, and he's obviously right at the top. He brought in a lot of his own men. There are dozens. We don't exactly know how many, but there are dozens of Australians who evolved in the command positions of the presidential guard. Mm-hmm. That means that the UAE has not only outsourced its entire aviation command to a foreigner. Uh, and also with uh, Steve came a lot of other American pilots. Uh, one of the things that he does at those trade shows is get people to retire and come work for him. <laughs> because, I mean, it takes years to train a helicopter pilot. It takes 15 minutes to steal one. Um, that means that the UAE, in effect, has outsourced its entire special operations and aviation command to foreign mercenaries. Yay! Uh-huh. That's a really great um, idea, and it's definitely not a lesson that had to be learned painfully by European powers during the uh, what was it, the, the religious wars of the 17th century, that maybe having massive mercenary armies that are loyal only to the money is a bad idea. Right. Like, I don't understand what the end game here is, and <laughs> I, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> like, the UAE effectively bought a military because before 2010 ish they didn't have much of anything so like in the last decade Mm -hmm. less than they've bought an army almost specifically to commit awful war crimes in yemen yeah yeah also uh like we talked about in the last episode every bit of support and uh logistics and training and everything that the united states gives to saudi arabia we have done as much and significantly less time with the UAE because the UAE was seen as like a really good ally in the area. And in order to be an ally of the U S you have to be a military state. So the UAE just (laughs) fucking swiped their debit card and bought one. Yeah. I just also, I found something pretty funny on the, uh, like one of the Wikipedia pages for like the Emirati army or something is that James Mattis called it uh, Little Sparta. Um, oh, God. Because, 
because of uh you know how like how much of a military state it is which i think is pretty funny because like a sparta is famous for like you know all the like child rape and stuff <laughs> right um state sponsored losing yeah and then losing the peloponnesian war to athens um and then like also the persians were like actually the good guys um in like the story like the battle of thermopylae and all that kind of stuff because like while the spartans were like busy doing like lots of slavery and like pedophilia and rape and all that kind of stuff right all of that stuff was like illegal in the persian empire so like you know really 300 is the story of like you know the liberating army like failing tragically and like the horrible pedophiles winning so i don't know that's not know, calling that's... someone little sparta isn't like a compliment <laughs> <laughs> and coming from fucking james mattis that means absolutely nothing <laughs> uh so did you know uh mattis was involved in that fucking silicon valley grift from theranos yeah, I heard he was on the board or something. <laughs> yes, like he that. was. It's and then ridiculous. he became fucking Secretary yeah. of Defense. <laughs> I hate the fact, like, I've got a, I know a couple of people who, um, uh, who I otherwise, like, uh, I respect a lot. Um, and they're in the military. Um, but, like, every so often they're sh- they'll share one of the, like, a meme about, like, you know, some quote unquote badass thing James Mattis said. Um, and, like, he criticized Trump. Like, wow, like, he criticized Trump. Like, that's so cool. Like, I guess that makes up for like all of the war crimes and covering up the, uh, Haditha massacre and like, you know, Theranos and, uh, God knows what else. Yeah. He used his military connections directly to get Theranos into the department of defense to be involved with TRICARE and stuff. Like n- he, I mean, he's not a fucking scientist. He's a goddamn Marine. So I don't know how much of exactly of it he knew was bullshit, but like he had to know that it was not working, but yeah. different story for a different time with that guy. Uh, so that <laughs> yeah. is the Yemeni civil war part two uh and part three we're going to talk about well so on the on part two we talked about the mercenary commanders on part Mm. three we're going to talk about the mercenary armies and there is so many of them Mm. yeah it's a real clusterfuck over there (laughs) yeah and it's not ending and well there there's some kind of peace process going on right now but it's it's all trash i'm not too hopeful no yeah i'm just like looking at how the peace process in syria has gone i mean there's been ceasefire after ceasefire negotiation after negotiations just no side is willing to give up anything and in the case of yemen like the the clear aggressors namely like the saudi coalition emiratis and so on um they're of course not going to give anything up because they don't really lose anything by just continuing to do all of these war crimes so that's part two uh tune in next week to hear about the mercenary armies that the mercenary commanders uh, lead into battle and uh, get them to do awful war crimes. Uh, so thank you for rating and uh, reviewing us on iTunes. Thank you for supporting the show on Patreon. You can get access to our bonus content and our regular content early uh, for just $1. Or you can buy a shirt on Teespring. Uh, you have to wear shirts places. Why not make it ours? You can follow the show on Twitter at lines underscore by you can follow me jcast99 you can follow travis at haycraft underscore travis and we will see you next week thank you hi this is nate bethay and i'm the producer of the lions led by donkeys podcast this show is brought to you by audible and as it just so happens audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership just go to audibletrial.com forward slash donkeys and browse the selection of audio programs download a title for free and start listening Once again, that's www.audibletrial.com forward slash donkeys to get started.